Well, amen. Will you remain standing for prayer with me, please? Father, we humble our hearts before you this morning, bowing our heads to acknowledge that you are the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. Father, thank you for the opportunity we have to sit quietly in your presence, to be still, to know that you are God. We sit quietly as we receive the word of God this morning, Lord, as a, as a symbol of our humility, of our acknowledgement that we need the word, that we want our ears to hear the word. We sit still before you and hold our Bibles on our lap this morning that you would touch our hearts, that you would enable us to go from here and to implement in obedience and in faith, living out the promises of your word. Father, take your word now and use it well within us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, this morning we're in Hebrews chapter 4, and because we're crossing into a new chapter, we have the opportunity for one of our young people who's part of our Bible quiz team to come and to recite Hebrews chapter 4 for us this morning in our third service. Chris Martineau is here, and uh, Chris, I invite you to the platform. Uh, Young man, thank you for being here, and let's listen as Chris quotes for us Hebrews chapter 4. This is from the New King James Translations. Thank you, Chris, for being here, brother. How old are you? I am 16 years old. 16. Very good. Thank you, man. Go ahead. Listen to God's word now as Chris, Chris quotes the word of God. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest, as he has said, So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this place, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. Again he designates a certain day, saying in David, Today, after such a long time, as it has been said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works, as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and powerful, and sharper than any any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, Chris, so much, brother. Great job. I was following along fairly closely, and I think it was word perfect, Chris. Thank you so much. Um, You're aware, many of you are, if you're new with us, we have a Bible quiz team, and they're memorizing the book of Hebrews 
uh, to participate in a Bible church quizzing uh, competition that they're involved in throughout the year. We're so proud of our young people for doing this. There's about 30 of them, and it was out of deference to them memorizing in New King James translation that I'm preaching this series out of the New King James translation. So that uh, will help you. Normally I'm in the English Standard Version, the ESV, and our text today will be Hebrews chapter 4 verses 1 through 11, but we need to take time in our introduction to lay a foundation of understanding that we find in Numbers chapter 13 and 14 of our Old Testament. So let me invite you to turn with me uh, for really what's kind of a long introduction to Numbers chapters 13 and 14. Now if you were the Hebrews who were receiving the letter in the first century that the writer of Hebrews, and we don't really know either one of these groups. We don't know much about this group of Jews, Hebrews, who were part of a small church. We don't even know for sure which city they were in. We don't know for sure who wrote this letter to them. Um, But we know that they knew one another well, and we also know that these Hebrew believers, in the context of of their Jewish culture, they understood their history, they knew their Old Testament very well, they would have been able to take their letter from the author, chapters 3 and chapters 4, which are all one section of teaching. We're going to jump back into it with 4.1 from where we left off. They would have known exactly who the author was referencing and exactly what he was talking about. For us... Uh, We don't really think the way they think. We don't know our Old Testament very well. Um, We don't think very Jewish. And Hebrews is a very Jewish book. And so we need to take a few minutes and we need to remind ourselves of, of a story from Israel's history that the writer to the Hebrews is using as his illustration in chapters 3 and chapters 4 of Hebrews. You'll remember this story. It begins in chapter 13 and of, of the book of Numbers. Let me just remind you where we are now. Moses has led the children of Israel out of Egypt. Most of us remember that, and I've been referencing that in this series. They've had the ten plagues. They've left. Egypt has laden them down with their jewelry. They're so glad to see them go. The, the death angel has come. They did not have the blood of the Passover lamb on their doorposts. The Egyptians did not. So the firstborn in all of all living creatures in their families is dead. They're wailing. The Israel, Pharaoh's heart is softened for a, a few hours. He tells Moses, get him out of here. Moses leads God's people who've been in Egypt in captivity for 400 years. He leads them out now to take them to what we call the promised land or Canaan. It's a land that God promised to give them through their father Abraham way back in Genesis 13, 14, 15, back there. In Genesis, God told Abraham, I'm going to give you a land, I'm going to give you a home, but he said it's going to be 400 years. You see, he had not exhausted his patience with the inhabitants of that land, and Israel was going to go in there and wipe them out. They were going to be God's agent of death, of execution, because You know, all of us live underneath a death sentence. All of us have the sentence of death upon us. The wages of our sin is death. And so the inhabitants of the land of Canaan were under a death sentence. God told Abraham, you're not going in yet. My patience hasn't run out with them yet. He gave them 400 more years to repent. They did not. And then the day came when God's justice fell. 
And he used Israel's sword to wipe them out under Joshua. We know some of those stories. So it wasn't like they were just going in and massacring innocent people. It was God's time of judgment upon a sinful people. Listen, we are a sinful people. God has a time of judgment for every person in this room. And the wages of all sin is death. But that's why we praise God for the blood of Christ that cleanses us from all sin. Jesus went to the cross, took our sin upon himself. He took the execution that we deserved and he was executed for our sin. He gives us everlasting life that the, that we just had the words on the screen. And so we do not have to pay the penalty for our own sin. Praise God. Under the blood of Christ and under the new covenant, Jesus took our place. That's why we call him the substitutionary lamb. Right about now, we all ought to jump up, spin around, wave our hands, and sing Amazing Grace as loud as we can. Because we don't have to pay the penalty for our own sin when our faith and trust is in Jesus Christ alone, period. Praise God for that. Well, back to Numbers chapter 13, the children of Israel... Uh, under Moses' leadership, are exiting Egypt. They have spent about 15 months in the wilderness. They've already seen God part the waters. Uh, They've seen God provide water and manna in the wilderness. And now they are positioning themselves to enter the promised land. It is time. It is time for them to enter the place of blessing. God's will for Israel was to move into Canaan to go there and to live under the blessing of God. So what does Moses do? Chapter 13, verse 1. Moses receives a word from the Lord, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. Each from, uh, from each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, everyone, a leader among them. There were... There were 12 tribes in Israel. They picked one key leader out of each of those tribes. Moses pulls them together. The two that are most familiar to us are Joshua and Caleb. And they take those 12 guys and they send them about 100 miles over into the promised land. And they go zig and zag and up and down and across. And they spy out the land. We get a sense of some of the things that they found there and what a wonderful land this is when we let our eyes go to chapter 11, verse 23. Look what it says. The spies, then they came to the valley of Eshcol, and there they cut down a branch with one cluster of grapes. They carried it between the two of them on a pole. They also brought some of the pomegranates and figs. The place was called the Valley of Eshcol because of the cluster which the men of Israel cut down there. I mean... This is incredible. And it just gives you an idea of the beauty and the, and just the fertile land that was there. And so as they spy it out, they come upon this valley where the, the fruit just grows. And whether the grapes were supersized or whether it was just a huge gob of grapes, they couldn't believe their eyes. They cut it off the vine. They wire it to a pole. And it's such a heavy gob of grapes. They have to put it on a pole between their shoulders to carry it home. And they come, you know, look, Mabel, you can't believe what we found. It's unbelievable. Just a place where God wanted to take them. Get this in your minds. It was the place where God wanted them to go, where he would bless them. It was his will for them to move into this land. 
Ah, but pretty quick, the wheels fall off. So they spy it out. Moses needs to know what's going on. And it says in verse 25 of chapter 13, and they returned from spying out the land after 40 days. So he spent 40 days. Now they departed and they came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and all the congregation and they showed them the fruit of the land. And then they told him and said, we went into the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey and this is its fruit. Oh, they're just, this is a, a land that flows with milk and honey. And we've heard that expression. This is where it comes from. It's just a place of abundance. It's a place of blessing. It's a place you want to be. Oh, not so quickly because they don't stop there. Verse 28, verse 27. Then they told him and said, we went to the land where you sent us. Yeah, we already read this. Truly flows with milk and honey. And this is its fruit, 28. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there and the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of Jordan. They got themselves in a hubbub. There's a lot of people with big, strong cities that live there. Notice verse 30. Then Caleb, one of the spies, Caleb quieted the people before Moses and he said, let us go up at once and take possession for we are able to overcome it. So let's go. That's where we belong. That's the place of God's blessing. That's where God wants to take us. Let's enter in and he's going to use a word. The writer in Hebrews eight times in our passage today is going to use the word rest. For the Israelites and the illustration that the writer of Hebrews is using to this small church, he's going to use the expression of rest. Now get this in your head. For the Israelites to believe God by faith and enter into the land is to enter into God's rest. That's what he's building a a storyline of here, a case. Let's continue to read. Caleb quiets them. Let's go. We can do it. But verse 31... The men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go against the people for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land, which they had spied out saying, the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak came from the giants and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. You got the picture? This is God's will. This is God's plan. Joshua and Caleb say, come on, let's go. Let's believe God. He can do this. Ten of the spies say, no, they're giants. We're like grasshoppers, but it's God's will. No, but don't you believe in God? Yes, I believe in God. He parted the water. He." He's the fire by night, the pillar by day. He's the water out of our rock. He's the manna in the morning. You believe in God? Yeah, I believe in God. But I don't believe him enough to go in there. But that's the place of blessing. This is the illustration that the writer of Hebrews is establishing. The recipients would have understood it immediately. We need to remind ourselves of it. Let's continue into chapter 14. And notice what happens. And now we pick up our notes 
And this is our extended introduction. It is an example of failed rest for for God's people. It It is an example of failed rest. The whole word picture here, listen now, the whole word picture is that they refuse, they go right up next to it, it's time to go in, they've been in the wilderness, now it's time to go in, but they are refusing to believe the promises of God enough to enter into his rest, his place of peace, his place of blessing, the place that it is his will for them to be. So they would rather turn away and live out of the will of God, out from the blessing of God, than enter. And do you see what's happening? When we get to Hebrews, remember what's happening in Hebrews. It is a group of people who have accepted Christ. They have come out of the old covenant of trying to keep the law, trying to externally, keeping the feast, keeping the law for their righteousness. And they have entered into newness of life in Christ. They're just probably a small house group church. Their family members are calling them back into Judaism. The political system of Nero around them is beginning to heat up. And they're being the beginnings of persecution in the early church are starting up. And so they're saying to themselves, this just isn't so great being in Christ. We're going to go back to our old ways. You see the picture here? People in the wilderness, people out of Egypt going into the promised land where God wants them to be, wants to bless them. It's his will. They'd rather go back to Egypt. And so the Hebrew believers in Christ, the place of God's blessing, in the will of God, following Christ for their salvation, are tempted to turn away and go back to the Egypt of Judaism, to go back to the wilderness of the law, to go back to the old covenant rather than the new covenant in Christ. It's a word picture that he's building. So all the congregation, 14.1 of Numbers, lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. So they hear the bad report. They hear about the giants. They begin to weep and to wail. And verse 2, and all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness, Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So the first thing we see is that they they were loudly and deeply dissatisfied with God's plan of blessing. Here's God's plan of blessing. It's time to go. And instead, they are wailing and crying out and they loudly and deeply are dissatisfied with God's plan of blessing. We don't like this plan. We read on in verse four. So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. It's unbelievable. All that they've been through, all the way that God has brought them, And now it's time to go in and they say, we're not going. In fact, we'll pick a new leader and we'll go. Secondly, they fearfully and foolishly questioned the wisdom of God's will. They foolishly and fearfully questioned the wisdom of God's will. Are you kidding me? God just brought us here to make our children victims. We don't like this plan, but that's the place of blessing. Why don't you believe God? Everybody raise your hand if you believe in God, children of Israel. Their hands would all go up. 
Of course we believe in God. We saw the plagues. We saw the parting of the, of the sea. We've seen water come out of the rock. We've seen manna in the morning. Yes, we believe in God. We see the cloud, the fire. But we don't believe him enough to trust him enough by faith to go in here. Thirdly, look what he says. They harshly and openly rebelled against the voices of wisdom and faith. So they said to one another, verse 4, Let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the assembly of the congregation. Joshua gets up and makes a speech. They tear their clothes. He speaks to the congregation. Come on. The land, verse 7, we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give us, give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. There's a voice of faith. There's a leader among them. And they refuse to listen to that. And they harshly and openly rebel against the voices of wisdom and faith. And wasn't Joshua correct? Forty years later, what would happen? They would cross the Jordan. There would be the mighty city of Jericho. We can't take down those big walls. God says, line them up, march them around every morning, seven times on the last day, toot your little trumpets, smash your dishes on the rocks, and the walls came tumbling down. Go figure. They will just fall in front of us Why? Because they're so big and strong? No, because God promised that that's the place of blessing. That's where you want to be. But no, they harshly and openly rebelled against these voices of wisdom and faith. Fourthly, they strongly and stubbornly refused to move forward by faith and to believe the promises of God. Verse 10, and all the congregation reacted to Joshua's speech. All the congregation said to stone them with stones. Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before all the children of Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people reject me? I mean, this is God's will. This is where we're supposed to go to be in the will of God. We don't want to go there. We want to pick new leadership to take us back to the old ways in Egypt. In fact, let's pick up rocks and kill these guys. God says, are you kidding me? What kind of hardness of heart is this? What kind of rebellion is going on here? You refuse to believe my word at the very point that I want to bless you. You're refusing it. They refuse to move forward by faith and believe in the promises of God. Ultimately, fifthly, letter E, they live far below the blessing and plan of God because of their lack of faith and obedience. Do you notice the theme there? In letter C, they refuse to follow the voices of faith. They refused, letter D, to believe the promises of God. Letter E, They live then the rest of their lives far below the blessing of God because of their lack of faith. Listen, we're going to be reminded later that this is the theme of Hebrews, living by faith, trusting God. And you can see that the writer of Hebrews, when we get there in just a minute, that he's calling on them, don't give up. There is a place of blessing, and it is in Christ. Your rest is in Christ. Believe him. He will sustain you. Don't go back to Egypt. 
Don't go back to Judaism. Don't go back to the old ways. Verses 26, we jump ahead. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, how long shall I bear with this evil congregation who complains against me? I have heard the complaints which the children of Israel make against me. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, I will do to you. The carcasses of you who have complained against me will fall in the wilderness. All of you who were numbered according to your entire number from 20 years old and above, except for Caleb and the son of Joshua. Except for Caleb and the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun, you shall by no means enter the land which I swore I would make you dwell in, but your little ones who you said would be victims, I will be, I will bring in and they shall know the land which you despised. You think your children are going to be victims? I'm going to show them blessing. And Joshua and Caleb believed the word and were willing to act upon the promises of God. The rest of you, you don't get to go back to Egypt, but you can walk in a big circle in the desert for the next, for the generation to die off 40 years. There's our extended introduction. Now let's go to Hebrews chapter 4. And I want you to see here how much easier it'll be for you to understand what we're saying. And parts of our text this morning are difficult to understand it is, um, it is chapter 4, verse 1, where we pick up, and we're going to back up to verse 16 of chapter 3. You need to know that we're jumping right into the middle of, of a section where the writer of Hebrews has been using the story that we just reviewed that the recipients of the letter would have understood immediately. He's been using this story as his context for teaching and as his illustration that they do not want to be like that in the same way that the Israelites of old did not want to cross into the promised land, the place of blessing, the place of God's will to to rest in the promises of God. They wanted to go back to Judaism instead of staying in Christ, the place of blessing, the place of promise to rest in Christ, stay there, believe his word. Don't give up. And he's begging them not to fall away. So back at verse 16 of chapter 3, remember this is the section, we've already covered it, but he, he ends this section with three couplets of questions. There's three sets of two questions. And so he says, for who, he's talking to the readers, to the recipients of Hebrews, for, who, have been, who are reading the letter for the first time, the writer says, For who, having heard, rebelled? Who was it that had heard about the promised land, but they rebelled? They heard the voice of the Lord, but they rebelled. Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? That's exactly what I was just telling you. So there's a question. Who was it that rebelled? Answered by a question. Wasn't it those who were led by Moses out of Egypt? And the answer is yes. Yeah, we know that. 17. Now with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? Yeah, that's exactly who it was. 18, and to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? See, there's the first time we see the word today, that they would enter his rest, go into the promised land, the place of blessing, the place of living in his will, that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey. Who was it? Did he swear that they would not enter his rest because of the rebellion than those who wouldn't obey? By disobedience, they forfeited God's rest. 
Then he says, and verse 19 is a key verse. Look what it says. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. And once again, I'll ask you, did they believe in God? If you stood there and talked to that group of Israelites and you said, everybody here, raise your hand if you believe in God, every single hand would have gone up, I think. They had seen his work. How many of you believe him enough then to enter into his rest? Not me. Stone those leaders. Get a new leader. Go back to Egypt. How many of you believe God enough to rest in Christ today, Hebrew believers? Not me. I'm going back to Judaism. Don't do that. You see that it is your unbelief that keeps you from entering into this rest, this place of blessing. Now to the notes. It'll be helpful, I think, if you let your eyes follow the notes. We have taken the time to lay a foundation from the history of Israel to give an example of failed rest among God's people, and that's what the writer's talking about. Now I want you to see that as he goes into chapter 4, he's challenging them yet again that started in chapter 3, and he's continuing it in chapter 4, that there is still today an extended offer of God's rest. So he's writing the Hebrews. They would have known about this story. And they know that the children of Israel forfeited their rest. And now the writer is saying to them, but you need to know that that rest that they've missed out on, that rest is available to you today. Now the next section begins a little bit easy to understand and gets harder and harder to understand. Janet's been asking me, how's your sermon coming? And I say, well, eh. Say, well, you know, what's going on? I say, well, I understand Russian and it's written in Chinese. And it's hard to understand. What is he saying? And so I find it difficult to outline even. And, and so what I've done is I've just tried to draw out of these verses what the writer is communicating to the Hebrew believers. And in so walking through that, I think it will shed light on the main emphasis of what his point is. Here he is now in verses 1 through 11, offering this extension of rest to God's people that is available today. Let's read chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, okay, so therefore, in reference to these Israelites who have forfeited their rest, therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. Okay? first observation that we make, letter A, is that there is a promise of rest that remains for God's people. It remains for God's people. Wouldn't you agree with me that's what he's telling them? Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, his rest is still available. So point number one, letter A, is there is a promise of rest that remains for God's people. Secondly, letter B, he says right away, though, it is of serious concern to not enter this rest. He's seriously concerned that they would not enter this rest. Look what he says. Since a promise of rest, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, let us be afraid, lest any of you seem to come short of it. So, Letter B, it is of serious concern, wouldn't you agree with me, not to enter this rest. He has a fear that it won't happen. Thirdly, we just remind ourselves of what he says then as he concludes the verse, is that it is possible to fall short of this rest. 
it is possible to fall short of this rest. And that's been his whole illustration about the children of Israel in their history, that they came right up to the edge of God's rest. They were right there. They had the promises. They had the ability to step into it. And they turned away and they fell short of the rest that God had promised. Fourthly, letter D. We notice by the author telling the Hebrew believers that indeed the gospel or good news or the message was preached to us as well as to them. So the first thing we see is that there's an us and a them. Let's just remind ourselves. The Hebrew letter is written and he, the author, includes himself with the recipients and he says, for indeed the gospel or the good news was communicated or preached to us. Who's us? Us is the Hebrew believers and the writer of Hebrews. You could say in parentheses, it's God's church. This is available for us. The Hebrew believers were a New Testament church. Who's them? Look what he says. They heard the good news as well as to them. He's referencing back to the story that we took several minutes to explain. The children of Israel. When they were in the wilderness, the spies came back and gave them the good news, the gospel of the promise land. Canaan was there for the taking and they heard the good news. Now notice what the rest of the verse says. But the word, this is the middle of verse two, but the word which they heard did not profit or benefit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. Your translation might imply that they did not have faith in the messengers who brought the word, or they didn't have faith in the word that was given to them. So what we see, letter E, is that the word was heard, but it was not accepted by faith. So therefore, it was of no benefit. It was of no benefit or profit. You see what he's saying? He's continuing to just use this illustration of the children of Israel. They heard the word. They were told. They were shown grape gobs of grapes, pomegranates. Look at how great it is. They got the word. Their ears heard it. And they refused to believe God's promises to act upon the information they had. So he says, just like them, they heard the word. We've heard the word. But they failed to benefit from the word. So because, and isn't that a shame? You're that close to the promised land. And all you have to do is believe the word and enter in and the walls will come tumbling down and the blessing of God will be poured out and you refuse to do it and you'd rather go back to Egypt under new leadership and you just don't believe, even though you believe in God, I believe in God, but I don't believe him enough to go where I can find rest. I'd rather live in misery in the wilderness for 40 years than enter into his rest by faith. It's a profound reality. So... Us is the Hebrews, them is the Israelites. The word was heard, but not accepted, so it didn't benefit them. They got the wilderness, they died off. It did no good to hear the word without acting in faith. Are you, you realize there's some lessons coming here, right? The word does us no good if we don't act in faith. You can know it, you can raise your hand and believe in God, 
If you're not living out the promises, you're just like them. Just like he's begging them, stay in Christ. Don't walk away. Now from here on out, the text gets a little more complicated, I think. And so I tried to just summarize what I think he's saying. And I don't have the answer to every nuance of every line here. But look what he says now in verse 3. For we who have believed do enter that rest. Letter F. We realize that faith is the key to entering this rest, right? For we who have believed do enter that rest. As he has said, now he quotes from Psalm 95, and that would have been very familiar to the Hebrew believers. It would have been part of their Sabbath day recitations. For I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Clearly they can see God has a rest, and people who don't believe God don't enter into that rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Now what does that mean? Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. I'm not sure. Let's keep reading. For he has spoken in a certain place, somewhere in the Bible, he says. He knew where it was. He was just focusing on the word, not the reference. Of the seventh day in this way, and he quotes from Genesis 2.2. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this place, somewhere in the Bible, this place, it says... Psalm 95, he quotes now, they shall not enter my rest. He says it again. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. Again, a reference to Israel. Again, he designates a certain day saying in David, today, pulling a word out of Psalm 95, after such a long time, since the Israelites scorned his rest, As it has been said, today, so in Psalm 95, long after the Israelites didn't enter the land, he says, today, if you will hear his voice and do not harden your hearts, and they would have had in the rest of their mind, you can enter his rest. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. So there's even a rest that was not fulfilled when they did enter under Joshua. They still didn't completely enter and fulfill the rest. There's evidently a rest to look forward to, of a rest spoken of another day to come. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. So there is a rest that remains available For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did. Did you get all that? I think it's a little bit confusing. What's what's he talking about? And so, at the least, the writer now is emphasizing uh, letter G. The writer is now referencing God's rest following creation. Did you see that? He holds that up as an illustration. That when God created the earth in six days, then he rested on the seventh day. He wants them to know that somehow that is an illustration of the rest that he's talking about. Part of the rest that he's talking about is modeled in God creating for six days and then resting. Now, did God get tired creating in six days? Whoo, I got to rest. Whoo, tired of all this speaking these words and making everything come into existence with a sentence. No. So the idea isn't that God was fatigued 
and needed to resupply his strength, the idea was that he had accomplished what he had intended to accomplish, and he no longer needed to keep striving or finishing his plan. He could just enjoy that plan. He could rest in the accomplishment. It was finished, and it was, God would say, it was good. It was good, and he rested in it. It was complete. There's a completeness there. So at the least, we've already seen, didn't I say, did I say F? Faith is the key to entering this rest. Did I say that? Good, class. Letter G, did I say that? Is this the 11 o'clock service? Yes, it's good for me to know. I'm happy that it's the 11 o'clock service. The writer references God's rest following creation. I said that. I actually remember saying that. Letter H, the writer then emphasizes that this rest is still available. He's spoken on the seventh day, verse 4, God rested on the seventh day, and he reminds them about not entering the rest, quoting from Psalm 95, verse 6, since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter it, he continually uses this illustration of them not following in obedience and not entering into his rest. Again, he designates a certain day saying in David, where David said in Psalm 95, today... Today you can enter this rest. If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Okay? There therefore, verse 9, remains a rest for the people of God. And so we see in verses 6 through 9, letter H, that the writer is emphasizing in this language, he's emphasizing that this rest is still available for the people of God. And it's available today. Now look what he says in letter I. The rest definitely involves a ceasing from labor. Look at verse 10. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did. So if you're a believer and by faith you enter this rest that he's talking about, you now cease from striving and you are complete You are not lacking anything. There is no more to create. And in the same way that God did not need to keep creating, it was done. You're there. You're where you're supposed to be. The place of blessing. You see how this relates to the Hebrew believers. We want to go back to the Egypt of Judaism. We want to go back to the wilderness of trying to keep the law. No. If you've entered in by faith into this rest of Christ, you're complete. Stop. Rest in it. Stop striving. Don't leave following Christ to go back to Judaism in the way that they did not go into the promised land and went back to the wilderness and longed to go back to Egypt. Letter J, to not enter this rest is disobedience. Surely he's saying this because look what it says in verse 6. At the end of verse 6, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. That was the Israelites in the wilderness. Their disobedience kept them out and their disbelief. Then look down at verse 11b. Lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. If you leave Christ, Hebrew believers, he says, remember Christ is greater than the prophets. Christ is greater than Moses. He's greater than angels. Where he referenced Joshua, by the way. Uh, Did you see where he referenced Joshua? What verse is it? Verse 8. For if Joshua had given them rest... 
a complete rest, then he would not have afterward have spoken about a rest on another day. So there was even more rest than what Joshua could give them going into the land. I think that that is another argument in the mind of the Hebrews from the writer that Christ is greater than Joshua. By the way, Joshua and Jesus is the same name. This Jesus that you have is greater than the Jesus they had. Joshua. He's even greater. And there's even more rest in him. And to not enter this rest is disobedience. Letter J, letter K. And I see in verse 11 that there is a responsibility on the part of God's people to enter this rest. We have a responsibility. Look what he says. Let us therefore be diligent, strive, work to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. I'm not sure I really have a complete handle on exactly what he's saying and quoting I think the Hebrew believers understood exactly what he was talking about. But I hope that list helps of breaking it down and showing that this rest is available. To not enter the rest is disobedience. You enter the rest by faith, and that rest is still available today. So what do we get out of this? What do we get out of this? I kind of repeated myself in number one and number two, but let's do it anyway. The Word of God when not acted upon in obedient faith is of no benefit and it keeps us from God's promise of rest. The word of God, when not acted upon by faith, is of no benefit to us. And remember, parentheses, the writer of Hebrews is highly committed to this theme of living by faith. You need to trust God by faith. Believe God, believe his word. So, If I said to the church today, how many of you believe in God? Hands would go up all across the auditorium, wouldn't they? All right. How many of you, though, really take the word of God and build your life on the promises? You can believe God, but if you don't act in faith upon the promises of God, it really is of no benefit. And faith is what he's striving for here. You see, these Hebrew believers were getting beat up for following Christ. It just wasn't that fun to be a Christian. It just wasn't a, it just didn't make their day to get their, get their lives altered in a negative way because of their testimony for Christ. And he said, look, you got to latch onto the promises of God and don't turn back. You're heading right for the place of blessing. Don't miss it. Enter in. Furthermore, number two, if the model of not entering God's promised rest is ancient Israel in the wilderness and refusing to trust God to enter the promised land, how should we understand what this rest is for us today? Furthermore, let me say that again. Okay, you got the model, right? The model from the history of Israel of not entering rest is all the dead carcasses in the wilderness. That's the model. If you don't enter the rest, you are out from under the blessing of God. The model of not entering God's promised rest is ancient Israel in the wilderness and refusing to trust God to enter the promised land. How then do we understand this rest for us today? This has been my struggle. What's the definition of rest? Is it just salvation? Is it heaven in the future? Is it the place of God's will and blessing today? I think the answer is yes. 
It's just raise your hand when they ask you, what is rest? And say, Jesus. It just kind of covers it all. But let's apply it a little bit. For example, it has to mean a turmoil to not have this rest that he's calling the Hebrew believers. They were in turmoil and they had a lack of peace. So in the Israel of old, when the word of God was not acted upon in believing faith, it results in turmoil and a lack of peace. It results in a miserable Christianity and living short of the place of intended blessing. So at some level, I think there's an application. Believers in God, all, yes. Do you believe his promise is enough to enter into the place of peace and his will and his blessing? It's like, do you know I talk every week, almost every day to miserable Christians? I talk almost every day to people who, yes, I believe in Christ. Yes, I'm a follower of Christ. But no, I don't have any peace. And you show them Philippians 4, be anxious for nothing. Yeah, but you don't know my circumstances. You don't know how thick the walls of Jericho are. How do you want me to be anxious for nothing when that big city with big walls and big mean soldiers is there? So you don't believe God? So you live in turmoil and a lack of peace because you refuse to put your faith with the word of God and hold on to it. And that's what the Hebrew believers were being called to do. You follow Christ. It's not all making sense right now. Don't go back to Judaism. Hold on to it and let the peace that passes all understanding be yours in Christ. Don't turn away from it. You know, in Matthew chapter 11, it says this. These are familiar words to you. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. You could write these down in your notes. Matthew 11, 28 to 30. Who said this? Who said this? It's a quiz. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Shalom, peace. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And the Hebrews say, are you kidding me? It's the hardest thing I've ever done to live for Christ. And Jesus says, enter my rest. It's an easy yoke. Do you think he's talking just about salvation? I don't think so. He's talking about entering into his peace. He's talking about taking him at his word and letting him be your Lord and your shepherd and your savior. And so in our present day press and circumstances, we don't really believe because he fed, he said he feeds the birds. How much more will he feed us? Yeah, but I don't know. I lost my job. I know. And it's a hard thing. But you take your faith and you take your word of God and you put them together and you enter into it and that's where rest comes from. By not believing the word of God, you never enter the rest. You can say, yes, that's the word of God and that's what it says and I believe in God. Did you take your faith and hook it up to the word of God and then rest? I think at some level that's what he's talking about. and What Jesus is talking about. Come unto me, all you are 
heavy laden and I'll give you rest. And don't we long for that? We long for that. And the word is filled with promises, but we don't see the way out. I don't see a way to handle those giants, the sons of Anak. So let's go back to Egypt. No, that's the place of blessing. He's going to take care of you. How is he going to take? It's not time today to learn how he's going to take care of you. It's time today to hook your faith up to the word. The word is the motor and your faith is the trailer and you hook them up and you go. Secondly, it certainly includes a lack of resting in Jesus Christ alone for one salvation from sin. Don't you think? It has to. At some level, as they struggled to understand the gospel and their salvation in Christ, and they wanted to go back to works-based Judaism, somehow this rest is resting in the complete finished work of Christ and that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's it. You can't count enough beads. You can't put enough money in the offering plate. You can't help enough little old ladies across the street to impress God. He sent his son to die on the cross for you and you put your faith in him and you rest in that salvation. It's complete. It's done. There's no more striving. Thirdly, ultimately, there is a future rest, I think. There is a future rest that we look forward to when we are in the presence of Christ. I think that's what Joshua, that verse about Joshua there, and that they didn't complete rest. And some people think that's eschatological rest. And then I got to look up the word eschatological and see what that means. And... But don't you agree with me that it will be a good day when we step into the presence of the Lord. And don't you think that your rest will be complete on that day? No more straining, no more struggling, no more even having to live by faith. Our faith will be sight and our rest will be complete. Peace that passes all understanding, keeping our hearts and our minds stayed on him. It's hard, isn't it? He knows our weaknesses. He knows that we're but dust. I trust that you'll be encouraged today to link up the word of God and faith and live it out and know rest. Got to rest. It's a good reminder for your pastor as well today. Let's stand and close in prayer. Father, we are thankful for this letter to the Hebrew believers. And as we root around in it and seek to understand it. Would you continue through your Holy Spirit to minister through the word of God in our lives every day? Forgive us for our lack of faith, for how we can believe at a certain level that you are God and we believe the Bible's the Bible, but we're just not sure the promises are really true. You just might drop us along the way. Help us to link our faith to the word and rest in it. We need your help with this. And we ask for your Holy Spirit to continue to minister through us throughout the week ahead as we ponder and meditate these concepts. And Father, for those today who have big burdens, they don't know what to do. Would you help them to enter into your rest? For those who are striving for their own salvation, would you help them to give up and run to the cross and let the blood of Christ cleanse them from all sin 
and find rest once and for all in the finished work of Christ. Continue to teach us, we pray. Cover us with your hand as we go in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.